If you've been here the last few weeks, you know that we've been going through just the one verse in Acts chapter 2, trying to break apart uh, some of the simple things that the church was committed to in the beginning. Um, And again, I think it's so important in the time that we're living in and the chaos that surrounds us in life to make sure that we, as the church, don't get distracted or don't get pulled in different directions and lose sight of the simple things that we are called to do because the way that the church becomes effective, the way that we become effective individually as Christians is when we do the simple things that God calls us to and we do the simple things well. It's not a matter of us trying to move beyond ourselves or or push to try to uh, come up with some novel idea in the midst of uh, things going kind of crazy around us in our country, but it's by us just simply doing the things that God has called us to do in committing ourselves to that. So we looked the first week at uh, this verse, Acts chapter 2, verse 42, and it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Uh, so again, we looked at the first week that they had committed themselves to teaching, that there were people who desired to understand and know the principles of God and to, to base their life on those principles, not just to have some sort of knowledge in their mind of what God says, but that they would take the knowledge that they have learned and then apply it to every situation that they encounter in life, that the principles of God then, his teaching, his truth, would be the lens by which they interpret the world around them. Uh, and then we talked about fellowship and breaking your bread last week, and that fellowship goes far beyond just a simple getting together as friends, but it comes to the place of us being committed to one another in life, that we are going to share life together, that we are bound together by a tie that transcends even biological ties. Now, that's a hard thing for some people to, to I think, accept sometimes because people are so committed to their families, and that's a good thing. I'm not telling you not to be committed to your family, your biological family, but what I'm telling you is that biblically the people of God are tied together in a way that transcends that even, that the people beside us then we should look at as our brothers and sisters, no different than the the people in my own family, my brothers and sisters. Uh, And then we see this week that uh, they committed themselves to to prayer. And uh, Isaiah 56, 7, uh, God says this, he says, These I will bring into my holy mountain, and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted at my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And then we see later in the New Testament that Jesus refers back to that when he's in the temple. And the people are in the temple and they're selling the things that are necessary for people to offer their sacrifices. They're exchanging money. In that moment, and we see Jesus in that moment referring back to what God said about his house. He says, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. But the point is that what we're seeing here is that God spoke in the Old Testament, uh, and, and I think it was Solomon, even when he dedicated the temple, referred to the house of God, the temple of God, uh, as, as a place of prayer. But all through the word of God, we see that God distinguished his place, his house, as a house of prayer. And then we see Jesus referring back to that, again, uh, emphasizing that his house would be a house of prayer. Now, what is God's house today? It is not a place on a map. It is not a building. It is not this building that we come to. But the Bible says that everyone who is born 
into the family, the family of God has become uh, part of a living stone within his temple, that we are now God's spiritual temple. So what does that mean? If God's house, if his house in the Old Testament, his temple was to be distinguished as a house of prayer, and Christ referred to that at that moment as the temple. Uh, I mean, he obviously was looking forward to what was to come spiritually in him, but if the, the physical temple was to be distinct in that way as a house of prayer, and we have now become the living house of God, what should we be distinguished by? We should be distinguished as a people of prayer. Now, we're not talking about just simply a matter of people trying to you know, so many times we have these lists of things that we have to do to be a good Christian. We have to, some of these things here, we have to, we have to sit under teaching. We have to fellowship together. We have to uh, break bread together. Whatever you can think of, we have to do all these different things, and then that makes me a Christian. That is not what we're talking about. If, if our concept of Christianity is just doing a few things or a list of things so that I can meet my requirements, we are missing the point altogether. That is not what any of this is about. Everything that we are talking about here, the teaching, that is so that we can connect with the heart of God. We can connect understanding who He is, then what He desires for us, and how He desires that we would relate to the world around us. That we have a sincere desire to know those things. And fellowship together is recognizing that the people around me have been purified, washed in the blood of Christ lifted out of the pit of sin and death and raised up, as the Bible says, to be a kingdom of priests in him, a people of his own possession. The people around me have been lifted to that position in him, the same as I have. They've experienced the same mercy and grace. You see, all of these things go beyond just simply meeting some simple requirement of uh, you have to fellowship this many times, you have to pray this amount of many times. There is much more than that in the Christian faith. It is about us connecting with the heart of God and then connecting with the people around us. What we're talking about here today, then, is the people being distinguished by their life of prayer. He said again, for my house should be called a house of prayer. Uh, My house will be characterized by people who uh, seek a deep connection with God, uh, that they have confidence to stand in His presence Uh, that they recognize that all of the work done in man and through man comes only by the power that comes in our hidden life with Christ. That is what we are talking about here in prayer, is the people who would sincerely approach God in prayer recognize all these things, that God is the one who accomplishes the work, not us. God is the one who gives us life. He is the source of our life, not anything else in this world. There's nothing else that I can ever do to attain life in this world outside of connection with my God. Why is that? Because I was created to reflect His character. Again, we've talked about this over and over. The Bible says in the beginning that we were created in the image of God. Then man fell, and that image was broken. God's purpose then is to restore his image within you and I that he could look on and see a reflection of himself. And not only that then, but his glory would be reflected off of us to the world around us, to the people around us. That's what God's intentions are, and we connect with him for that purpose. Um, So the church should be distinguished uh, devoted to God in the pursuit of prayer, not to, again, not just simple devotion to prayer for the sake of prayer, but devoted to the pursuit of God in prayer. That should be my intention in everything that I do when I seek God in prayer, when I 
uh, bring any situation before him in prayer, my goal should be to seek his heart on that matter. My goal should be to seek his heart. If it's somebody, some individual that I'm lifting before him, my goal should be to connect with him and recognize his purposes in that situation that I am bringing before him. Uh, so simply just starting, what, what are we talking about when we talk about prayer? So prayer in its fundamental sense is simply the act of the believer seeking to connect to the heart of God. There are a lot of things that we could go through in the Bible that would outline different sorts of prayer, the ways that the, the Bible kind of characterizes prayer. But at the, the base line, at the, in the fundamental uh, sense of the, what we're talking about here, it is just simply man's desire to connect with the heart of God. Now we're talking about sincere prayer. We're not talking about somebody who prays just because they are religious, but we're talking about somebody who honestly wants to connect with God, somebody who honestly brings a situation before him because they want to know what he thinks. Somebody who brings somebody else before him, prays for that person, uh, not because they want to fix that person so that I don't have to deal with the consequences of whatever this person is dealing with, but because I honestly desire to see somebody come to know him. That I honestly desire to see somebody walk in the hope that comes in him, the peace that comes with him, the joy that comes with him. When I am honestly walking in that way, then prayer in its fundamental sense is simply the desire to connect with God and his heart for uh, his, his understanding, his desires, his intentions for the situations around me in life. We should be distinguished as those kind of people. Uh, Ravi Zechariah said this about prayer. He said, The Bible makes it clear that prayer is intended as the line of connection from the heart uh, of the praying person directly to the heart of God. We see this modeled in the life of Christ. In Luke chapter 22, Starting in verse 39, it says, Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, Pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat like drops of blood falling to the ground. You see in that moment... The heart of Christ had gone far beyond just a religious act, but it was to connect with the heart of the Father. In that moment, he was experiencing such anguish and uh, trial and suffering. Even before he endured the beatings and everything within his soul, his emotions, everything within him, he was experiencing such desperation and anguish that it brought him to the place of sweating even drops of blood. And his desire in that moment wasn't to say, Father, just take this from me. I I can't do this. I don't want to do this. But he was desiring to connect with the heart of the Father, the intentions, the, the purposes of God. And he would ask that God would put those purposes in him. Not my will, but yours be done. You see, he was going beyond just formal religion to a desire to connect with the heart of his Father. That is what we are called to as the church, that we would be people of prayer, that in every situation around us, our desire would be to connect with the heart of God on that matter. We see this all throughout the Word of God. There are countless examples of people people who would move beyond simple prayer uh, as a religious ritual to the desire to connection with uh, God the Father. But you understand then, we see 
other things in the Bible, how, how significant prayers in the Bible, number one, again, that God would say that my house would be a house of prayer, that my people would be distinguished by their desire to pray and connect with me. But then we see even uh, in Revelation chapter 5, is such a significant thing, I think. Revelation chapter 5, starting in 5, in verse 5, uh, it says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. <clears throat> I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and his seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out through all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures... The 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, and each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls of of full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So in this moment where they were looking for the one who was worthy to accomplish the purposes of God, and only Christ was that one who could accomplish those purposes. And in that moment, this picture of the throne room of God, it has the elders who then fell down before him, each one with a harp, in golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Now that, whether that, the golden bowls, whether that is a, a, a literal thing or John just writing how he could possibly interpret what he was seeing in the throne room of God, either way, that is an unbelievably significant uh, picture uh, for us of the significance of prayer that in the very throne room of God, when Christ would accomplish his purposes they would have these golden bowls full of the prayers of people like you and I all through the ages. Now you understand first what that means is there is not one person that sits in this room that is insignificant. That's not based on the words that you say in prayer. That's not based on how eloquent you are in prayer. That's not based on how much knowledge you have. The only thing that is required for your prayers to be as significant in, as that is your heart to be fixed on a desire to connect with God. That is it. Nothing else. I don't care how foolish somebody in the world thinks you are. I don't care how smart they think you are. None of that matters. The only thing it takes to, for your prayers to be that significant is a heart desiring to, to connect with God. You see what this comes down to. I was reading a book by uh, Oswald Chambers on prayer. I can't remember what it's called now. It was so amazing. He was pointing out that uh, you realize how easy prayer is. You know, so many people think that prayer is difficult. It's not at all. Why is that? It's because of the agony of Christ that bought our connection to God. That, that made it, You understand that before this, the only way that they could connect with God in the Old Covenant was through the priest who could go into the most holy place one time a year. That was it. The people would stand outside. They would bring their sacrifice to the priest. They would do their work, and the priest would go uh, connect with God at certain points. That was it. The people never got to go in there and do that. 
It was the priests that were set aside for that. But you understand what was happening here in this moment as Christ is on his knees praying to the Father, desiring to connect with the Father and saying, not my will, but yours be done. What was the Father's will? That through Christ we would have the way to step into his presence. The Bible says, boldly and confidently we can approach the throne of grace because of the agony of Christ in that moment, praying in such agony that he would sweat blood. In that, he said, not my will, but yours be done. In God's will was that through him, you and I would have the opportunity not to set outside of the temple anymore while the priest does the work, that you and I can walk directly into the most holy place where God dwells. And we can stand there, we can live there, we can dwell there every moment of every day. It was through the agony of Christ that he made it easy for you and I. You see, it's easy also because it's not based on the words that we say, but the condition of our heart. Prayer is easy. Don't ever think it's not. You don't have to have some long, drawn-out, eloquent prayers. You can talk to God the same way that you talk to somebody else. Approach Him with reverence. We absolutely should do that. But God doesn't care about the words that come out of your mouth, he cares about the nature of our heart. You see, through Christ's agony, he has made it easy for you and I to approach the throne of the Father. He has made it accessible. The Bible says, we go back to our verse that we read in the beginning, Isaiah 56, 7, he says, My house will be called a house of prayer for all people. There is not one person that is excluded from the house of God being built up as God's house, distinguished by prayer. There's not one person that is excluded from that if your heart's desire is to connect with Him. Sincere prayer is the embodiment of every aspect, then, of true and spiritual worship. This is why why prayer is so significant to God. This is why it is such a significant thing that we would see the picture of God's throne and Christ accomplishing his work. And in that moment, they would emphasize that they were holding gold and bowls of incense. That could have been a detail that they could have left out or just passed by. It wasn't. They felt the need to point that out. It was significant. It's significant because sincere prayer is the embodiment of every aspect of true and spiritual worship. You see, in the act of prayer... Offered with a sincere heart, God sees within his children the embodiment of the culture of God's kingdom in direct connection with their pursuit of him. Meaning that when God looks on the person who honestly wants to connect with him in prayer, he is seeing all of the characteristics that he desires to impart to us, to work in us, to transform us, to reflect his character. He sees all of those things in the moment that somebody desires sincerely to connect with him in prayer. Let me show you how that is. Galatians 3.27 says that we, uh, for all of you who are baptized into Christ, have clothed yourselves with Christ. Colossians 3.12 then says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see, when we receive salvation, when we are walking in Christ, he begins to do a work within our hearts, transforming us to reflect who he is. Not myself anymore. He transforms me to reflect his character in greater and greater measure. 
Again, Colossians 3.12. Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see, sincere prayer reveals and increases the compassion in my heart. He says, clothe yourselves with compassion. Sincere prayer reveals and increases the compassion that is within my heart. You see, we go back to even the story of, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head exactly where it's at, but uh, the, the friends who had uh, a disabled friend and Christ was meeting in the one house and they couldn't get through the crowd to bring their friend to Jesus. So what did they do? They went up the house, they put, made a hole in the roof and they lowered him through the roof to get to Jesus. You see, there's something to be said about the person who will do whatever it takes to get to Christ on behalf of another person. It may not be easy. It may not be the easiest thing for me to commit to. It's maybe even getting up in the morning, say there's a person who has such, such a difficult thing that they're walking through or some sort of trial and suffering, and you feel like you should be praying to God for them, and you commit, I'm going to get up in the morning, I'm going to spend these 20 minutes praying for this situation. I'm going to sacrifice my time for that. It might not be easy for you to do that, but there's something to be said for the person who has compassion on somebody else to the point where they will commit themselves, whatever the cost, they will commit themselves to carrying that person to Christ. That's exactly what the friends did. They couldn't get through the crowds. They found a way. They weren't going to just say, well, you know, we tried, Jesus is here, but we just couldn't, we couldn't make it happen. Maybe next time. You see, they found a way. They had such compassion on their friend that they would find a way, whatever the cost, they would find a way to get him to Jesus. You see, when we sincerely lift somebody else up to God continually, I'm not talking about just praying for somebody for a couple days and then, well, this didn't work, so on to the next thing. I'm talking about somebody who has made a genuine commitment that I will not stop praying for this person or this situation until I see God move in some way. That reveals to God the compassion within my heart. You see why prayer is so significant? Because he looks on you and sees a reflection of himself, his own compassion in your heart. Not only that, but true prayer, continually doing that, increases the compassion in your heart. As you do that over and over, God will continue to work in you and increase your capacity to have compassion on those around you. We also see that sincere prayer increases humility in our hearts. Um, clothe yourselves in compassion, kindness, humility. Sincere prayer reveals and increases humility in my heart. And sincere praying, I am saying to God that you are able and I am not. That is how God sees humility in you and I. When I sincerely desire to lift up situations before him, in that moment God sees somebody coming before him saying, I don't have anything in this. I don't have any power here. You are the one that is able. I am not. God sees a heart of humility in the person who comes to him in sincerity. Sincere prayer also reveals that we have patience and endurance that comes from reliance on God and peace in him. See, it said, clothe yourselves with gentleness and patience. It reveals that prayer reveals, sincere prayer reveals that we have patient endurance that comes from reliance on God and peace in Him. You see, I trust God. My sincere pursuit of God and patient 
and enduring prayer reveals my trust in him. By continuing day after day, month after month, bringing a person or situation before him, he sees in me then the patience and endurance that comes from a peace. The peace only comes from the abiding presence of his spirit. You see, when I have the peace of God at work in my heart, I can endure situations in prayer. I can endure situations with patience. I can endure praying for my church. I can endure praying for the person who's struggling. I can endure praying for somebody who's sick. Because I have the peace of God within my heart. You see, that is what God sees when somebody sincerely comes before him. Continually. Sometimes for years. You might pray for a situation for decades. You see, there are some people that are patient and have the endurance of God that comes from a peace in him. They have the endurance and patience to see a situation through. That's what God sees in somebody who comes to him with sincerity. Sincere prayer is the embodiment of every aspect of true spiritual worship. When God looks on his child that comes to him in sincerity, he sees the fullness of every, every part of his character that he wants to work in us. When somebody comes to him in sincerity, he sees that reflected back to him. That's why prayer is so significant. Because God looks on his children and it reveals the fullness of my heart and my desire for him. There are other things that we can do as Christians that reveal the uh, uh, pieces of that. There are other things that reveal our heart for people, but what we're talking about in prayer is that I am coming directly to the throne of God in His presence saying, here I am, this is who I am, this is what I am, this is what I desire from you. And in that moment, you're also asking, if you're pursuing Him in sincerity, you are also asking, this, this is who I am, can you increase your character within me? That is why prayer is so significant. It is not a small thing for his church and the individuals com- that compose his church to be distinguished by prayer. That is how we accomplish the work of God. You see, it's not a matter of us praying so that we then can do the work of God. It is prayer accomplishes the work. It is the time that we sp- per- spend pursuing God that accomplishes the work. So God's people were to be distinguished as a house of prayer. My house shall be called a house of prayer. I was thinking about this for a long time. You know, especially through trying to make sense of, uh, you know, all the the health concerns that are going on and then all of the things that have been going on in the last few weeks with rioting and, and uh, all the things that we see people discussing and what's the church's response to this and how do you, how do you speak to these kind of issues. And I, as I was thinking about that, the only thing that kept coming to my mind was Ezekiel chapter 37. Starting in verse 1, it says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out 
by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and the tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy to a man and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says, come breath from the four winds and breath into the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore prophesy to them and say, this is what the sovereign Lord says, my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live. I will settle you in your land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. You see in this moment, what he is talking about is this state of humanity where there is no life whatsoever. You see, we're talking about dry bones and in a graveyard right here, but there, there can be people walking all around us that are no different than these dry bones. The people that are in our communities, the people that are in our workplaces, the people in our country, the leaders in our country, uh, any, any person around you, it is possible that they are walking in the same place uh, or, or their, their, the state of their being is no different than what we see in these dry bones. Just because they have life within them by a physical means does not mean that they have spiritual life. You see, I think it is so significant that we would have the same heart as Ezekiel had here. He, God said to him, Son of man, can these bones live? He said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. You see, that is what prayer is about. That is what prayer is about. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. I don't know. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I have countless times that whatever situations we're facing, it is so far beyond me, I have no idea what to do. You see, that's not a bad place to be. Sovereign Lord, you alone know. That is what prayer is. It's me going to God with a heart to connect with Him and to know Him and to know His desires and intentions among men because, Sovereign Lord, You know. I don't. You know. I don't care how long I have to wait. I don't care how long we have to sit in Your presence and wait for some sort of direction or answer. You are the one that knows. We don't. That goes not just for me, but for this church. God knows we don't. I have no idea what the church's response should be to all the things that are going on around us. I know he hasn't given me anything that I should speak on it right this second. But he is the one that knows. I don't. 
That is why it is so significant that the church be distinguished as a house of prayer. Because he knows and we don't. And in that, the worship team can come up as we close. In the moment that we approach him with boldness and confidence through Christ, the first thing we recognize is that Christ's agony has bought me the opportunity to step into God's presence with boldness and confidence, not based on my words, but based on my heart. And the second thing is that God the Father is pleased with his children the same way as when a parent looks on their children and sees them doing good things. It brings them pleasure. It is the same thing from God the Father. He looks on a child and sees, I see gentleness in you. I see compassion in you. I see humility in you because you honestly desire to know my heart on this matter. You're not trying to accomplish it out of your own power, but you desire to know what I have to say. God the Father looks at in pleasure on his children when he sees that in them. And we do this because all around us we see people living as dry bones. And God says, can, can these bones live? I don't know. I have no idea. But you know. And I will wait for you to be the one who tells me how and when and what to say and what to do. We're going to start some things in the next few weeks to do our best to be distinguished as a house of prayer. Linda, did we print those things? I can't remember if we did or not. Those, no, okay. That's okay. I was unclear in my intentions for this week. But we're going to give you, we're going to start sending out a, a, prayer, a prayer guide that will kind of walk us through situations to pray for. Uh, we're going to start sending that out every month. And, you know, there's there's so many things that we can pray for, but sometimes we just don't know. We just don't, we don't know all the things going on around us. So we're going to help you with that. We're going to start sending out a prayer list every month, things that you can keep praying through uh, all throughout the month. And we'll explain that more as we go here. Uh, there will be more things that we'll be talking about in the next few weeks of ways that we're going to commit ourselves to, to prayer. And I said last week, this is the last thing I'll say. This is not an attempt for the church to organize a life of prayer. In a sense, it is, but we recognize that we can't organize us being a house of prayer. We can give people tools to help them think through things. We can give people tools to try to understand prayer in greater and greater measure, but it comes down to an individual making a decision that this is what will distinguish me. That is how we become a house of prayer. It will never be by us organizing something. All the things that we are giving you are just simply to try to assist. That's what we're doing. But it comes down to somebody saying, I will be distinguished as a person in prayer. I don't know what anybody else is going to do, but God knows and I don't. And I'm going to seek Him. Make it your goal in life to be distinguished as a person of prayer. There is greater value than anything else. There is greater value in that than anything else that you could possibly do in life. God, we thank you again today for the opportunity that we have through Christ to pursue you and to step into your presence. The opportunity that we have through Christ to boldly and confidently approach you. 
Father, we thank you that you are good, that your wisdom is perfect, that your strength is unfailing. And that, Father, even though we don't have any idea if the dry bones around us can live, we know that you know. And not only that you know, but you have the power to accomplish. Father, help us to be people who would rely on you. Help us to be people who would approach you in prayer as worship. That we would consider it not just a simple act of religious ritual, but it would be an opportunity to connect with your heart. Father, we love you today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Steve.